Hey everybody, this is Flightcast. I'm Jason. This is an aviation podcast that got its start as a need to talk about the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight. We'll talk more about that later. With me in the Flightcast virtual recording booth, as always, is the very beautiful Mark Skyhawk Heavy Denton. Hey buddy. Hey buddy, what's going on? I don't know about beautiful. I mean, I'm damn good looking, but beautiful, that's just kind of a stretch. Beautiful now. inside and out. Well, I'm good looking inside and out. I, I just thought, you know, I just don't do well with beautiful. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, listen, Mark, we have to like, once again remind our listeners about Warbird Weekend. I know that yes. uh, it's been several reminders now, but uh, we're just going to ho- go ahead and do that until we get into October. We will be live at PDK in Atlanta, Georgia for Warbird Weekend 2017. And... Uh, we just got our schedule actually today as we're recording this. So, guys, please tune in to our blog, log in, click over to whatever they say. That's at flightcast.audio slash blog. And there yep. will be a post there with our full schedule. And I'm really excited. We've got some uh, commemorative Air Force Dixie Wing pilots. We've got the uh, two of Tuskegee the Airmen. Yep, two of the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, We've got a couple of guys from the, uh, now help me out, Mark, with the uh, 3G Aviation Media, I think. Yes, 3G Aviation Media. Uh, They'll be there conducting a uh, aviation photography workshop. Yeah, and we get to talk to them, uh, I think, on Friday because they're going to be super busy. Yep. Uh, We are going to talk to Mr. Epps from Epps Aviation, and he has a very cool story uh, about resurrecting uh, an airplane. And so we're going to talk to him about that. This is going to be so fun. And we've got uh, our flight cast patches just showed up at Steven's house today. And so uh, they look great. And we're going to be handing those out. So make sure you stop by our booth, say hello, come get a break from the sun uh, in the hangar, which is where we're going to be. And here's something new that we didn't mention last week uh, Infinite Flight as we mentioned at the start, is a mobile flight simulator that you can download for your phone or tablet. Not only is it the best mobile flight simulator that you will find in the App Store, they are now an official sponsor of FlightCast as we head to Warbird Weekend. So Get out of here. I know. Many, many thanks to Laura and Philippe and the whole gang over at Flying Development Studio. Um, so not only will we have at least two of those developers with us and probably actually four of them, so you yep. may want to make sure we're going to uh, schedule also a an Infinite Flight uh, Flying Development Studio podcast, which will be on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. More details to come. Uh, but they are now a big part of FlightCast even being there in the first place. So again, thank you to Flying Development Studio for being an official sponsor of FlightCast at Warbird Weekend this year. Guys, if we don't say it enough already, if you're listening to this and you have the slightest inkling of downloading Infinite Flight to check it out, please do. Um, it just keeps getting better and better. I'll even uh, I'll tell them thank you in our in one of our daily chats that we have at work. Yes, please do. I will. And you left out the most important part about Warbird Weekend is the fact that I'm going to be there. I mean, if, hell, that's worth everything right there. Warbirds or not. Yep. Yep. I, and, and truth be told, I'm probably the biggest reason why. People are coming from Europe and Australia and Emphasis on biggest. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> the, the pun was intended. Oh, I can't wait to get my big bear hug from my boo-boo. 
I uh, didn't know you were bringing a plus one. <laughs> That'd be you, buddy. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be an awesome time. Um, really looking yeah, forward to it. And, of course, just being there around all the warbirds, man. It's, you know, being here in Mobile, you know, yeah, I get the, the occasional T6. And mm-hmm. every now and again, I'll, you know, get some uh, get some Navy or Coast Guard uh, aircraft, mostly airliners. But the warbirds, oh, uh, I'm, I'm ready to see some more. Yeah, buddy. It's going to be good. Yep, definitely. Well, we have a very. Uh, I'm ex- I'm excited about this. I'm a little I'm a little giddy about this interview and uh, and slightly starstruck if I'm if I'm honest. Uh, Mark, you and I have just gotten recently into, or actually for both of us, it's actually re into because we've we've both watched it a little bit before, but um, sort of brushing up on our Ice Pilots NWT, mm-hmm. uh, which you can find on Netflix, um, and. We're going to talk to one of the McBrien boys today. Should we get him in here? Yeah, yeah let's go on and bring him in. Cool. So joining us on Flightcast is one of the stars of reality aviation TV series Ice Pilots NWT on the History Channel. Ice Pilots follows Buffalo Joe McBrien and Buffalo Airways out of Yellowknife in northern Canada. And Mark, it is cold up there. You think it's cold where I live? It's cold in Yellowknife. Man... I mean, it looks cold probably to people like you, you know, I mean, but to me, hell, the only difference between me and a walrus is I don't have the Tuskies. That's it. <laughs> so I'd probably still be out there in shorts. Probably. Well, listeners can also tune into a few seasons on Netflix. I believe they're in their sixth or seventh season on the History Channel. With us via Skype is Buffalo Airways general manager and the youngest McBrien son, Mikey McBrien. Mikey, welcome to Flightcast. Oh, Mark Jason there. Thanks for having me. How am I coming in? Uh, you guys hear me? All the way in Yellowknife? We're reading you loud and clear. All the way over oh, yeah. here in Ontario and down in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> uh, man, thanks for joining us. And uh, I-, I think just to get the ball rolling here, I think for many fans of Ice Pilots, the burning question is this. is your... How did you get away from Joe long enough <laughs> to be able to do this? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, look, luckily he, uh, he flew to Hay River tonight on the DC three, which is his normal flight. Uh, so I'm, flight. I'm what you call unsupervised right now. Ooh. Oh, excellent. Wow. Are you at work? No, no, luckily. No, I'm, I'm at home right now. Okay. Uh, just had some pizza pops and ready to do some podcasting. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, appreciate you making time for us. Is Buffalo Joe as difficult to deal with as they make him look on TV? Sometimes like the honest answer is sometimes. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, the one thing about television is television loves, uh, dramatic time. And my father does have his fair share of dramatic time. <laughs> uh, not always, but, um, when he's happy, it makes bad television. So it's good that he's always cranky. Okay. So when he's happy, is he just have this nice calm demeanor and, and isn't, uh, it stays quiet? No, he's, he's, um, he's, he's a character. He is. Um, he's larger than life, uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's been his own, but he started Buffalo where I was in 1970. So it's going to be 50 years here in, um, you know, just what, three years from now. So yeah. he, he's never had a boss in like five decades. So he doesn't, I think the human interaction sometimes, uh, uh is lost on him, but, uh, yeah, no, he, he does, he does an amazing job, but he also, um, lets you know if you're not doing an amazing job. Right. Yeah. He doesn't beat around the bush. No, definitely not. He's he's probably the most American guy I know for a guy born in northern Canada. <laughs> right on. 
I don't. And that might have been an things. insult for you on you, Mark. <laughs> well, no, but I, you know, I I told you all along. I mean, that's that's one thing that that's the kind of person that I I love is because I'm just a straight shooter. I don't beat around the bush. I plow through the damn thing. That's so, very true. Um, you know, and so that's the kind of person that I appreciate. And you know, when you're watching the show and he he's being a hard ass with uh you know with these uh these these uh guys that have moved up from rampy to flight attendant and all that stuff you know and then they're finally getting into the right seat and then they're nervous as hell about flying with joe you know that's that's when i would probably be at my most comfort level my highest comfort level because you're there with somebody who's going to tell you straight up how it is look the the you know what what can i work on joe you need to give up your pilot's license that's <laughs> that's, that's what you need to start on <laughs> you suck and so and the one the one thing people don't uh, realize that much is like my father's been flying the dc3 since 19 oh geez i i am I'm, I'm it's either 68 or 63 i know i know he bought his first one in 78 yeah, it might have been seventy. Yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah, you're right. Um, so he has always had to fly with the greenest, um, you know, twenty-three-year-old. So these twenty-three-year-olds he started flying with are retired now, <laughs> and wow. and he's currently flying with the twenty-three-year-old. So his entire flying career has been with the most junior co-pilots. So it's kind of this weird thing because as as a pilot gets better, they either become captain of the DC three. Or they move on to a C-46, a Lockheed, Electra, um, DC-4, CL-215, all the big ones. Um, where my father's, he's just happy in his seat. So he, uh, yeah. he's that's what probably keeps him young. He's chasing, the, you know, chasing the, the the mistakes of these these young guys. Unless you're somebody like Scott and you're seven foot tall, and you know you just <laughs> have to go straight to the 46. Yeah, old Scotty Blue. Yeah, yeah, he uh, couldn't fit in the DC. <laughs> old Scotty. Yeah. Uh, so, Mikey, talk to us about how you started with Buffalo Airways. Obviously, it's a family thing. Um, did you did you start out wanting to be a pilot, or was that never really on the radar? Uh, initially, yeah, I, I went to flight school and flight training when I was fourteen, um, and I wasn't very good. Um, and then I was a mechanic. I was an automotive mechanic. And then I was an aircraft mechanic, and again, I wasn't very good. Uh, my brother, uh, Rod, uh, is the, the, the mechanic of the family. Uh, but I was good at talking. So um, we had a manager that quit, like got up and just left. And basically the phone was ringing uh, for charter sales, and so I just picked up the phone, and I started talking, and that's where I fell into. Because um, the one thing always, the one thing I always, always wondered was why, why the airplanes were flying. Uh, it's, it's very, it's very simple to figure out, you know, that an airplane needs to be fixed. And it's very simple to figure out how an airplane flies, but you know, customers that are paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, to fly these airplanes and to be, you know, paying us to fly the airplanes. I always found that fascinating. And, uh, so that's where I kind of lean toward the business end. And I'm just lucky I have the ability to talk and then, you know, the, everything else sucks. <laughs> so really the really the family said listen man you, you're just a turd out there uh, yeah. but you but you've got a big mouth so we're gonna put you in the office here yeah basically yeah and uh <laughs> yeah yeah that's how it is uh it's quite funny um my father is actually the only member of my entire family except one cousin 
that has a spouse license. And uh, everyone wow. does in a different job. We got an accountants and and you know, you know, I, I would like to say lawyers, but probably more people that need lawyers. But yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. Uh, we all do something different, which is which is kind of a necessity up here in the north because um, there's not a big talent pool. Like we're like the territories is twice the size of Texas, and we got like forty thousand people. Um, so you kind of you kind of you get when you get stuck good at a job, you kind of stuck there because uh, there's no one going to be able to replace you. Yeah, and and speaking of stuck, is is does that do you feel stuck when you're up in Yellowknife, or does that is it just that's home and that's life and you love it? Or how does that uh, being in the north like that? How how do you feel? Well, it's not for everybody. In fact, it's probably only for about these forty thousand people that are here, maybe even yeah. less. Um, it's it's different because um, I was born and raised in a, in a town called Hay River, uh, which is 120 nautical miles south of uh, Yellowknife. Um, so that's all I knew. Um, you know, like going to McDonald's and KFC was this huge event. Like yeah. it was like a once or twice a year event. And and so everything seems so amazing to me, um, like even shopping malls and like movie theaters and all that stuff just was so cool. Um uh, but on the flip side is you get really addicted to uh, just doing whatever you want. And, and that's what the North gives you. The North gives you the freedom to just, you know, do whatever you want, which which is which is the side effect of, of being so uh, lonely up here. Right on. So basically, you know, I've got over 15 years experience working on the ramp. Um, so if y'all have an opening and if that holds <laughs> true that you can do whatever the hell you want <laughs> – then maybe I need to move up there to the uh, Northwest Territory. Oh, you'll you'd, you'd love uh, Corey Dodd, our one mechanic. He, you know, race and jet boats. He's got a Barrett 50 cal gun there. They oh. go around and dr- oh, drink now, beer now and shoot sp- propane bottles. And- yeah, now you're speaking Mark's <laughs> language. Yeah, I've, uh, once you've shot a, uh, a Barrett 50 cal, man, you fall in love with them. Uh, you're sitting there with the ice pack on your shoulder just thinking, God, I'm in love with that gun. <laughs> Yeah, it's ten bucks a shot up here. How much is it down there? Uh, it's like six here. Oh, geez, yeah. So it's that's like two beers every shoot. Every shot is about two beers. So. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yep, sounds like I, if y'all got room on the ramp for me, of course you know I could get the ramp you straightened out. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I'll, I'll go ahead and start making plans to move up. Just need a strong internet connection for the podcast. Oh yeah, you know, like the draft dodging. There's pro- there's probably still a bunch of guys up here still, so you could uh, you probably uh, find some company. <laughs> Classic, Mark. Have you heard of Live Flight for Infinite Flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before you know planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With a new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. 
It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. Uh, so, Mikey, how did the how did the History Channel become involved with you guys? How'd that come about? Uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but um, I was I was in marketing class in, in Red Deer, Alberta. Uh, I was going to college down there, um, and uh, I got a call. Just my cell phone was ringing, and it was a Vancouver number, and I picked it up, and there was a uh, a producer named David Galson pulled me up and said, "You want to be on TV?" And I was like, "Sure." And uh, what this backstory was is he worked for the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, uh, and I think he did a radio interview with my father in the 80s. And he just happened to pick up the newspaper and seen that we were still in business and um, was blown away by it, tried to get a hold of my father. Um, and my father has doesn't want anything to do with television or people that are, you know, outside of his realm of customers. And... Um, so he told him to f off a few times, and somehow he got my cell number, and that's when he called me, and and then uh, so I flew down to Vancouver, and we made a deal, and uh, on my spring break, uh, we all my friends were going to Mexico. I flew back up to Yellow Knife. We shot the pilot episode, and then we went back, and then uh, uh, when I graduated, um, we I grabbed the camera crew and we went and start, and that's how we got uh, season one. Wow. That's awesome. And and how did uh, your dad react to all this happening? Well, the, the funny thing is I didn't really tell anybody. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I told everybody it was a school project. And and in the North, everybody is kind of different. Um, so when there was cameras around, people were just kind of ignored them, uh, which makes the best television. When people start acting towards the camera, um, it becomes exactly. different, right? So. You know, like it was so cold, you know, it's 40 below out, airplanes are breaking down, you know, customers need their stuff. No one cares about a camera. And um, so that's that's what really happened. It took about two months before I really told everybody this was most likely going to be a, 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 a national uh, TV show, not even thinking international. Wow. So cool. So you, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you got people calling you asking if you want to be on TV down here. Hell, if we want to be on TV, we're standing there with our buddies, and we're like, "Here, hold my beer, watch this." You're shooting, you're <laughs> shooting rounds off into the hurricane, is what you're doing. Oh that yeah, are streaking through downtown, and the cops, you know, <laughs> next thing you know, you're on TV. Oh man, cops! I would love to be on cops if they need a cameo. I can, I can do something. <laughs> I'm trying my damnedest to get on there, but I just can't get in. I, I just can't do it. Oh man, growing up we had the we had the the Detroit feed for like NBC and ABC, and like the live high speed chases were always my favorite. There was just like breaking news, you know. We interrupt this episode of you know Will and Grace for this high speed chase, and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> so, when when are what season are you? And you're in season six. It has is airing right now, I think, or uh, what uh, on the History Channel. So what what actually is we finished up season six, uh, which aired uh, 
two almost two Februarys ago. So we we've actually wrapped the show here for about it's about about two years. Oh, okay. Like the the series is done. Yeah, the series. What okay. we did is, of course, we're always um, like we did. Uh, I think we started we started filming in two thousand eight. Uh, and then we filmed, we went right to, yeah, February 2015, I think was the last episode that aired. And then of course, you know, we're, they're always, um, we're always trying to f- figure out a way to get back on. But the the crazy thing is this Netflix, um, uh, putting season one and two in Netflix, uh, that was only like last, oh geez, I think that was like November last year. Okay. And that really blew it up, which yeah. was cool yeah. because the, the, down in the States, they never got the show regularly like um like canada uk um new zealand australia germany and like russia uh had the show pretty consistently um and then in the states it was really fragmented we were on national geographic the weather channel and just kind of bounced around so once it went on netflix it almost like it was a brand new show so people do get confused thinking it's brand new um and I feel kind of embarrassed because I had I was like using a BlackBerry on season one. I don't want anybody <laughs> one to think I walked around with a BlackBerry. Just so but, for, so everyone for the record, uh, Mike does not use a BlackBerry. Yeah, because it's I was like, geez, we're hillbilly enough. Geez, I don't want anybody to think we're that bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and you know, a lot of shows that's been the case, right? Like um, Arrested Development had this real cult following. And uh, and it was canceled, and then they put it on Netflix, and then boom, there's this massive uh, call for more seasons, right? So they're doing them, but yeah, um, it's yeah, it's kind of neat, and I, I really uh, it was really cool um, to see it uh, to be reborn uh, how it is because we worked so hard on it, yep. uh, and, and and to bring life to it because everybody that watches it and tweets about it and talks about it and sent, uh, tags pictures. Like Netflix sees all that and they see that, hey, there's an established brand and uh, they want more stuff. So, you know, what would be really cool is uh, what often happens with these, um, what you're saying is kind of blows up after it goes on Netflix is Netflix picks you back up. Yeah, like the Trail Park Boys, my boys down in uh, Nova Scotia. That's right. Yep. I was down in uh, uh, Oshkosh. I was doing a speaking engagement down at the museum and everyone was just in love with Trailer Park Boys. And I'm like, Man, I was I watched Trailer Park Boys when I was in high or high school in like 2000. <laughs> like they're like it's brand new. Yeah, I'm like they yeah. probably have Blackberries too. I'm like, God, man, everyone thinks we're probably running around with Blackberries. Yeah, right. Well, it is a Canadian <laughs> company, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we never as a matter of fact, I still, later. Jason, you remember when I found my BlackBerry a couple yeah, weeks back? Yeah, my and old it's still turned on. Yeah, still turned on. Still playing Brick Breaker <laughs> with it. There you go. Oh, Brick Breaker was the best, man. <laughs> I'm going to go find him, man. Brick Breaker, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, you're you're not taping now, but is that was that usually reserved for winter? I mean, that's when the harshest conditions were, right? And uh, it's, it seemed like it was almost always dark and freezing cold, minus 40, 50. Yeah, like what it was was um, like in, the Canadian television scene is very volatile. Uh, and in the States is the same. Um, but, uh, we like, we shot season one and we're like, Oh good. It's done. We thought season one, like we did it and it's over. And then the ratings were really good. We broke some records and then season two, it was doing really good. And then we're like, Hey, we could maybe do a third one. And we're like, cool. Third one. And we never, every season we were doing was going to be the last season. In fact, if you watch season five, 
the last episode of season five is like a full-on mash farewell episode like we thought this was done and um what happened was a couple uh, episodes in that season had hockey players nhl players in it which of course in canada boosted their ratings like crazy sure so history phoned up like we the show was over and they phoned up and said hey let's do a season six really quick so we did a we did an eight episode season six and uh, that was kind of our farewell um, Again. season because it was <laughs> it's quite, it's quite tiring to be on television. Um, um, be, Pretty demanding because, on top of your normal job. Yeah, it was about fifty percent of my job was, oh, wow. was the TV. Um, and why because, is that? I mean, aren't you just doing your job? Well, uh, I was in a special case because I was I was doing stuff in front and behind the camera. Um, so you get there was. At a given time, we had a small crew. We had about five people filming. And and so having five people in the hangar always constantly looking for stories, you know, and logistics, logistically of cameras and mounting and all that stuff. Uh, rigging up the airplanes it and things like that. Takes up a lot of time. Um, and, then the, and, then, and then the media, the social media, the, the, yeah. the standard media, the interviews. Yeah. And then for every episode... I flew out to Vancouver and pre-watched all the edits to make sure we weren't breaking too many rules. Oh, okay. And if there was something like, like to, to, to vet the episodes and make sure there wasn't some glaring, glaring, Okay, so, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, you don't want the Transport Canada watching an episode and going, hey, they're breaking more rules. And so that answered one of my other questions. Do you, do you watch the show? So obviously you would go down into Vancouver and vet the episodes, but... I, this is always kind of burning on my brain, and it's just my lack of of TV knowledge. But when you do those um, producer interviews that they kind of cut to in between scenes, I guess are those done? When do they shoot those? So you like we call those the sit downs. So okay. you know it's nicely lit, and there's a standard background and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, a normal show because they have a small shooting window. We'll shoot those like same day um, or the next day. Yeah. Our show, because they shot so much stuff, like because nothing was set up. Like there was no, um, there was no dramatic stuff set up. Like there was, there's some stuff in later seasons where like, we, we go dog fighting and I'm jumping out of airplanes and, you know, flying in an F-18 and, you know, hanging out with Iron Maiden and, and like really like, you know. So you're going looking end, for like, exciting stuff. Yeah. Like, so that technically is stuff that is set up um but traditional reality shows set up pretty much everything yeah. um yeah. stuff like pawn stars even though i love pawn stars but they know exactly what piece is coming in they know you know i gotta call my buddy you know to come in and take a look at it well he's you know he knew two weeks ago that he was coming in to look at this exact yeah, thing yeah, yeah so so it's like it's not it's not scripted per se but they know what's happening. On Icebox, we never knew what was going to happen. So they just filmed and filmed and filmed. So when the film goes back to Vancouver and they edit it, then they go, okay, here's the story. We actually have a story in all this mess. And in the story, we need the sit-down interviews to help narrate it. Um, so you'd be like, it could, it could be, um, you know, a month, two months later, you're doing a sit-down interview. Man, that'd be hard to remember them. some of that stuff. Yeah, it, it it was, and 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 actually that was the that was the hardest part of the whole thing was a sit down. I did I did one sit down interview for six hours. Jeez, 
straight and it's a necessity Hell no. and um, and so that's that's something people don't see uh or or know but um i know a lot of people on a lot of other shows uh in fact i do some consulting for people that you know are going to be on television and what to expect and everything and ice pelts was a very rare situation because um most times a tv sh- show shows up and they become the main source of revenue for the business, like okay. Pawn Stars, West Coast Choppers, Orange County Choppers, uh, American Pickers. Inked, probably. Um, um, yeah, like Inked, Swamp People. All these companies are just minor companies. All of a sudden, you get guys throwing tens of thousands of dollars per episode. You no longer work for that company or working for the TV show. Yeah. Where us, we're opposite. That Electra burns 5,000 pounds of fuel an hour. Yeah. And there's no Canadian TV show that could pay that much. So what that did was it put the power back onto the company and to the people. And, um, and so that gave this, this, um, this uh, it kept it all real. Um, because we're not actors and we're not, if anything, Scott Blue and I hammed it up. Um, but, um, sure. yeah. but that's, what, that's, that's the secret. What, what kept it real was, um, at no point was the show in charge from a financial standpoint. Uh, they had creative control of what they were going to show. Um, but they never had that amount and neither did they want that. Right. Um, but and that's also how it should be, honestly, you know, when you're doing a show like that and it's, you know, the reputation of the company. You know, Mm -hmm. you definitely want to have the control of that yourself as the company, not, you know, not the TV company itself. So I, I, I did a lot of research, of course, and, uh, I idolized Jesse James from, uh, West coast choppers and, um, and I seen how it can turn negative, um, because he was making tens and tens of millions of dollars on his merchandise, uh, directly related to him being on television and it and basically drove them crazy. Mm. And it, 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 everyone, it, it drives everyone crazy at the end, right? Um, so researching what happens to Ozzy Osbourne and, um, you know, uh, like Gene Simmons, yeah. all these guys that had the rally shows, I would, went and watched everything and, and taught myself what to expect and, and what to, to, to watch out for. And to keep it as real as possible um, is, is the key. Yeah. Well, it sounds like and, you you did the right you're doing the right thing and not letting it take over your life, which is good. Yeah, sometimes sometimes my pocketbook was uh, I wish I would have sold out, but <laughs> ultimately <laughs> it was um ultimately it was it was um uh what's the word I'm looking for? Probably it was like a hobby. It was a very cool hobby because I knew that um, a lot of the, the mechanics and pilots um, are not from Yellowknife, and their their families all around the world never really get to visit them or see what they do. And after the money's all spent and the airplanes are all in museums, this TV show can live on as uh, a piece in time that if it wasn't recorded, it would be lost. There's yeah. been so many amazing Northern Airlines and really what's left now is just a dusty old book and maybe some matchbook covers. And that's it. That airline's almost lost to history. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a driving force between I wanted to document it uh, at, for posterity. So, you know, in, in 100 years when we're all dead, 
maybe some futuristic 16 year old kid will fall in love with the dc3 and and that, that would be amazing yeah very very cool well, i'm i'm too stubborn to die so you know i'll still <laughs> be around in a hundred years preserve your legacy and i'll be too. more than happy to uh you know to broadcast that for you guys and and just really push it uh mikey let's move this along i want to talk a little bit about the company uh let's talk about buffalo airways fleet for a second uh i'm sure it's similar to what you had on the show um what are the biggest challenges to having a a full fleet of older aircraft for the most part um as you can imagine just a regular challenge like any aircraft up here but when you when you when you talk with warbirds and and vintage aircraft, uh, the mechanics, um, the the physical guys putting wrenches on the aircraft every day, is is what keeps it all going. Um, not to not to diss pilots or, or anything, uh, but you can train somebody in a couple of weeks how to fly the airplane, um, especially if they're um, if they have uh, you know similar experience. Mm. Uh, but it takes years and years and years and even generations to train good mechanics. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's why, like, in the hangar, um, there's the same mechanics, um, even the same family line, like their their uncle or their brother or their father worked at Buffalo Airways. And, and that's why they never change. It's the same guys. When I was running around in diapers, they're the same guys. Uh, where pilots are, you know, almost 100% turnover within two years, so... Um, it, it, the, the key, the key answering the question is, is having uh, good, steady mechanics. Mm, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that answer actually. Um, so, so it begs the question for me and I, I know you guys love the warbirds and it's kind of your thing, but why not buy some new airplanes? Uh, well, the major que- the, there's, there's a few aspects of that. Um, the number one reason why today is because the airplanes are paid for. Um, you know, they paid for themselves literally months after buying them. Mm. Um, but the overhead's high. Um, the second reason is yeah. the unprepared strips. Like where we're going is 3,000 feet gravel. Right. Um, so the only other aircraft that really do that are ATRs, uh, Dash 8s, which again are old See, relatively now. 80s. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Get you some old well, C-130s you know, up in the fleet. That'd be good. <laughs> can't uh there's no like all the c-130as and all that stuff is all military and after yeah. um after a certain amount I'd, like the dc-3s are some of the last actual military airplanes that you can use um you just convert them to dc-3s uh so yeah you can go buy a sixty thousand dollar um you know c-130a from uh yuma arizona but you won't be able to make any money out of it because you can't have a commercial license with it um, oh, wow. so, uh, Basler's are about, you know, to get everything ready is about 10 million us, Jeez. uh, for Good an Lord. airplane that can relate, like the 46 can do the same job. Uh, but the fuel is an issue. Um, we do run Basler's in the summertime. We rent them or release them from Ken Bork. Uh, so it is a multi-stage problem. Um, the airplanes that, that actually can do the job like a, a civilian uh, Herc right from Lockheed. It's about 90 million U.S. right now um, to do a job that you're lucky to make, you know, nothing really. It's like we're, we're operating around like a 10% margin. Oh, so wow. it, it's, wow. it's like Jurassic Park. It's, it's not for everywhere. If every place had 5,000-foot paved strips, like the whole 
continental U.S., um, you could run you can run all the airplanes you want, um, but it's just this Jurassic Park area where it's strips. Um, you know, everything's so far away, and it's low yield because you're you're flying 600 miles to a town of 300 people. Um, so you can't have a you know a 10 million dollar airplane doing that trip efficiently so mm, there's a yeah. whole bunch of mix Th- that saying all that if my father wasn't here there'd be none of these airplanes yeah so a lot of the things is his drive um but you know it's 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 a uh, you know you can send scientists and and philosophers and psychotherapists and they still wouldn't get a, get a good answer because you got to be a little bit crazy too so <laughs> you got to add in the crazy factor Cool. Uh, so, Mikey, your dad is pretty notorious for circumventing the rules to get the job done. And uh, in 2015, CBC ran a story that uh, indicated he would have to step down from the day-to-day operations because of a suspended operator certificate. So, and that's probably just one of, of many. Now, not not to not to uh, shed negative light on your dad because he he's done so many amazing things for both aviation and for Buffalo Airways and for the people of Northwest Territories. But how do you balance the fact that he's your dad and he's the owner who's getting himself into this trouble? Um, that's the million dollar question, <laughs> and uh, and that's why there's a TV show. Um, yeah, okay. if, <laughs> <Good> if, <answer. laughs> if we're all holding hands, you know, singing songs and drinking Kool-Aid, um, it'd be, you know, six minute show. Yeah. Um, so the dynamics of it all, um, I never seen anybody like my father who is a survivor. Um, like when the show started airing, like when ice pilots, the first season of ice pilots, I don't, I think there's one other airline, maybe two, that haven't completely changed hands. So there has been almost a, almost close to a 100, uh, 100% turnover in airlines since the first episode of Ice Pilots. Um, yeah, wow. my father's been still doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, yep. And and the, and his safety record is probably, I would say the you know I can't I don't want to jinx anything but like you know probably a top in Canada. You know, he's flown the one, the one single DC-3 10,000 hours, airframe hours on one aircraft. Um, so he knows the stuff. He knows the area. He knows what it is. And you know, he always said, he's like, if I have a problem with the Transport Canada inspector, they change every four years. I'll just wait them out. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you and this guy would get along tremendously. I told you that, man. We definitely would. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but, and... and yeah, the thing that I love about him is the fact that, <clears throat> you know, yeah, he's a hard ass, which you know that's great. And you know, being the boss and being as successful as uh, the company has been uh, rides a lot on you know his shoulders for that success. And um, but also, you do see that compassionate side from him. I mean, he loves the people there at Buffalo, but he also loves the people up in the Northwest Territory and will bend over backwards to help someone in need. And, you know, and that's evident. So, I mean, he's, you can definitely see both sides of the coin, but the compassion is great, which I have very little of. And, um, 
but just being the 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 hard ass with everybody and just straightforward is is what has earned my respect for sure and I, as well as probably everybody else around him yeah 50 years um you, 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 there's no more uh small talk it's all over it's like a very uh efficient uh marriage you just say what you have to say and then get it get it done get her done get her done cool that's exactly it mark do you I have any more questions you. for mikey yeah, I mean, you know, where, where, I mean, yeah, y'all, y'all got a couple Cessnas, but where, where are the, uh, where are the caravans, man? You, you got to get some high wings up in there. Um, well, funny thing is, we just got eight brand new Air Tractor 802 fire bosses, like brand new from Texas. Um, wow. so we're operating those for firefighting now. Uh, the CL 215s are, are uh, retired. Um, we are running King Airs. We have two King Air 100s, two King Air 90s. Oh, cool. Uh, those, those last I checked, have low wings. Uh, I don't get to see them much because they're they're very low maintenance. They just go and do jobs and, oh, they just leave them outside. It's amazing. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's very efficient, those airplanes. Um, we got Turbo Commanders. Uh, I guess that's another high-wing airplane. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so... Yeah, you never know. Uh, Caravans is a, is is, is they're amazing airplanes. They're about a million bucks right now, uh, but they're they just don't hold the bulk. What what we specialize in is those big cargo doors uh, to move the stuff that no one else can move because the show kind of doesn't make it look like we're the only people up here, but actually we're probably like the fourth largest airline up here. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of competition. Uh, the ATR-72, an amazing airplane, um, uh, but it's got a small door, uh, small door, and uh, the the load, the floor loading, I think, is like 3,500 pounds or even less per yep. uh, per per section there. Where we're where we're you know we could do you know six or seven with the Electro, so and uh, even with like we set up planks and stuff and and to spread the load out and do it all like. So we, we are the heavy lift things, and the Hercs are gone. So First Air up here had two civilian Hercs. In fact, the only two civilian Hercs in Canada, uh, and they sold them. They went overseas. Uh, so now when the crazy stuff happens, uh, Linden uh, Air Cargo out of uh, Alaska come in with their mm-hmm. Hercs to fly the stuff that physically can't go in any other airplane. And that's a Canadian rule. Um, American airplanes can only do jobs that no other Canadian can do. Um so Lyndon does come in here with the Herc, uh, but uh, yeah, it's the 737-200 uh, in the Electra. Now, the, the reason they use 737-200s is that's the only model that can land on gravel uh, with, uh, the, with cigar the, the gravel engine. Yeah, they had a, they have a pneumatic system to blow the dust and rocks away. So even even an obsolete 737-200 by uh, everyone else's standard is still a top not top notch machine. Um, but those are steadily going away because uh, they're coming up on their cycles now, and they're running around. I last I heard like 12 million to uh, to overhaul. Um, so wow. they're dying out, and uh, the dashes are taking over. Um, yeah, it's going to be a De Havilland De Havilland country up here pretty quick. Well, Bombardier that... now, I guess. So what was it like, you know, with uh your your moments you know making out with the stanley cup i mean that 
Uh, I love the Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup is the the greatest thing in the world. Holy Uh, grail. You know, like I was sitting in grade, you know, growing up in Hay River, uh, you know, I never, no, I never met anybody famous, never, no, you know, never uh, seen a celebrity. All I watched was the Simpsons and hockey. And, uh, and so that cup to me was like the most, is like the symbol of, uh, the real world or the outside world and, and something that was going to be unattainable. Like I can't skate backwards. Like for a, for a Canadian to say he can't you know, <laughs> skate properly is like, is like admitting you're an alcoholic. It takes a lot eh, to stand up. And... Your honesty is refreshing. <laughs> well, don't so... feel bad. I can't even walk backwards. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And, and ice pops awarded us the opportunity to, to haul the Stanley cup around for three days and, and I, I guarantee you, they cut out the bad stuff. That the, the stuff that you guys seen on TV was just the G-rated stuff. So, <laughs> how do I get my hands on the non-G-rated stuff? That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, you got to come up. Like, like I tell everybody now, it's it's just like live action theater. We got we can set up some chairs in the hangar. You can just bring a six pack or even twelve pack, twenty four pack, <laughs> and just watch it live, theater. like like Broadway. Sounds good. Let's do it, Mark. Yeah, we definitely got to get up there, man. Mikey, is there anything else that you want to share before we go make our listeners aware of what's going on recently with you? Uh, this is your your time to just uh, uh, open mic. Oh, yeah. No, I just – the funny thing is I've been doing podcasts all week. I'm promoting a movie that I just made uh, on hockey and, you know, around this town of Cup uh, about NHL 94 and Sega Genesis. It's called Pixelated Heroes. NHL 94 um, on Sega Genesis? Are you serious? Yeah, it's one of the best video games of all time. I just My spent brother three and I used years, to play that. Yeah, making a documentary, man. Pixelated Heroes, check it out. I found all the original designers, talked to all the NHL guys. Get out of here. And then, yeah, so it's 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 pretty cool, man. And um, so, yeah, that's coming up. I'm doing a big NHL 94 tournament in Vegas the end of this month, downtown Grand, then the 94 World Championships. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to check that out, kingof94.com. Come party with me in Vegas for a few nights. It's going to be a crazy. I'm also uh, doing a, a screening of the movie uh, there as well. And so, yeah, that's Beautiful. all that kind of stuff. Also, now from you Icebox make, When you view, say party with you, it's on your tab, right? <laughs> You're the yeah, star. We'll see, like, whoever, yeah. whoever is left standing, I guess, will have to pay. <laughs> because I have to drink a lot to maintain my figure, so it's going to get up there. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, we can we can go toe toe and toe. We can have an international <laughs> incident over there. <laughs> Sounds like it. That's a challenge. I'm on my way. <laughs> so it's um yeah. So that checked out, and then from an ice pods point of view, all the social media. You know, we we've been trying to keep that up to keep you know the hundreds of thousands of people that have been watching the show informed. Um yeah. So for Chucky and I, every Friday or every Friday, we try our hardest to do a live stream right from the hangar and it's basically just me holding the can uh, holding my phone walking around the hangar and chucky and i do a recap of what's going on keep everybody in the loop nice. and then live answer any questions anybody has and uh so people tune in from all over we get about ten thousand views per video and it's all like the most diehard people so i love hearing you know like people in brazil watching the show people in japan and russia and yeah, all over sweet. the UK and then like every single state is, is, is pretty cool. So yeah, hit us up on all the social media and uh, yeah. 
Awesome. So Eric got some trolling to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll show up on your feed next time. Uh, very cool. Well, Mikey, thanks so much. It was uh, a pleasure talking to you, and uh, good luck with all your endeavors. And it's been uh, great talking to a fellow Canadian for once. Oh, right on. Yeah, there's not very many of us. Huh? <laughs> not compared to the Americans, that's I for sure. I haven't heard him say A one time. Well, he's he's what a star, though. He's he's had some uh, he's had some training, I'm sure. Oh, that's horrible. No, actually, I heard that's, him say that's... A all the time on the damn show. <laughs> that's quite funny. Well, at least well, everyone just says I sound like Kermit the Frog, so... I've been trying not... Kermit never Mark, ever said A. Mark said that. I said the same damn thing. <laughs> Oh, busted. That's awesome. Well, you know, the funny thing was, like, when I first saw the very first episode of Ice Pilots, I'm in Vancouver in the editing suite, and it's surround sound like a studio. And I'm like, why in the hell do I sound like Kermit the Frog? What are you guys doing? Because I never heard my voice before. In my head, Sorry to break you know, it to you, bro, but that's how you sound. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Ah, it's classic. That was the first thing I told Jason. I was like, well, damn, he sounds like Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's good stuff. All right, we got to go, Mikey. Thanks so much again. Oh, thanks. Uh, You guys get bored, call me back. Uh, We can talk again soon. Definitely will. That was Mikey McBrien, star of Ice Pilots NWT on the History Channel and on Netflix. And he joined us on Skype from Yellowknife. Northwest Territories. Okay, guys, follow Mikey on Instagram at Mikey McBrien. Don't forget to check out Flightcast Cafe for bonus content from this and other episodes. Lots of shenanigans going on. And also keep your eye on our blog at flightcast.audio slash blog for our Warbird weekend schedule. And don't forget to come and say hi at our booth on Saturday, October 7th, 2017. Thanks for listening. This episode of Flightcast is brought to you by the best mobile flight simulator on Earth, Infinite Flight, and you can download that for your phone or tablet in the app store or google play for more info and for more on the podcast visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on itunes or youtube you can find us on social media at flightcast audio flightcast is also brought to you by linkhouse media on the web at linkhousemedia.com i'm jason rosewell hosting with me as always with skyhawk heavy thanks for listening and happy landings